We were able to visit one time, and I think it was an evening service. We were swinging through this area, and we made plans to be here on time, and uh, the Rifes were here, and we got to meet Pastor and his wife and, and spend some fellowship time with them. And I'm so glad to uh, have had the opportunity to speak at a couple of the couples retreats. My wife and I enjoyed that very much, and uh, then also to have the opportunity to be here today. I do want to make a couple of introductory comments, if I may, before we turn to the Scripture this morning. And the first introductory comment I'd like to make is, thank you for supporting the Rifes the way you do. Uh, you have given him a tremendous base to work out of. And I don't know how many of you are aware of all the things that he and Robin have had impact on in regard to uh, not only here in the States, but also in Mexico and Haiti and different places. Uh, my wife and I last night, as we saw the facility and the updates that have been done over the last couple of years, uh, we just thought, how are they doing all this? I, I, I can't comprehend how they're doing it. But I know they have a good church supporting them. And you providing the facility for them has been a major, major step forward for their ministry. So thank you very much for what you've done. We started our ministries in 2005 down in the Gulf. Greg went down for a couple of weeks to work, and I went down for 10 days. I did the pastoral part. He did the work part. We ended up staying. Uh, he stayed over a year, and I stayed two and a half years. So uh, it was really a blessing to get to know him, work with him, see what he could do, and then to follow him through these years. But again, Philippians 4, I mean, what he's doing goes on to your account because you've given him the base to work out of, and we really appreciate that a lot. And our own ministry, and this is uh, just something for you to be aware of, we're not seeking support or anything, but we do want you to be aware of what we're doing in case you hear of churches or pastors that have need. On the back table, you'll see a little display board, and our ministry is just my wife and I, and it's three-pronged ministry. Number one is pastoral relief. Uh, we're able to give relief to pastors that are going through a difficult time. Maybe they've had surgery or they've had a death in the family or a spiritual issue they had to work through. And the pulpit then becomes uh, uh, hard for them to fill during that period of time, a week, a month, whatever. Uh, we're able to go in and give pastoral relief and fill the pulpit while they recover. Uh, second thing is pastoral replacement, and that is the interim work. When a church loses their pastor, for whatever reason, good or bad, it's always tough on the church, and especially wondering who's going to preach week by week. So we go in as an interim, and we're able to fill the pulpit and advise the pulpit committee while the church looks for a pastor, and then install the new pastor and move on from there. We've done that a few times now. It's been a real blessing. And then the third aspect is what we're doing today, which is pastoral reinforcement. And that is just holding up the pastor's hands. And uh, if I didn't love your pastor and respect what he's doing here, I wouldn't be here. And, uh, but I do, and I appreciate very much the folks we've met, the ones we're meeting today. And it's just a refreshing thing for us to come in and just reinforce what you're doing here in the ministry with some messages that we trust will encourage your heart. So thank you very much for the good reception this morning, and I really appreciated that in the Fellowship Hall, and we look forward to what the Lord's going to do this morning as well as tonight. Uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to a familiar passage of Scripture, but one I hope you'll see in a little different light this morning, and that is Isaiah chapter 53. So take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. The title of this morning's message is simply, Who is This? Isaiah chapter 53, who is this? And we're going to begin by letting me read all these verses. And as I read these verses, I think something will stand out to you that we'll be talking about in just a moment. And uh, um, 
but let me just go ahead and read the verses and what we'll prayer, and then we'll begin from there. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he hath grown, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, verse six or verse five, for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a shear, as sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He has he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave, verse nine, with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When, sh when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for all for the transgressors. Shall we pray together? Our Father in heaven, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we pray that the intended purpose of which you had it written through the prophet would be accomplished in our hearts today. Let us see who this is. Let us see why this is written. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know how many of you have the difficulty that my wife and I have, but frequently we'll find ourselves using pronouns. Now, you know what a pronoun is. A pronoun is a word that is used in place of a noun. But normally what you'll find is a noun used first, and then following that you'll see the pronoun, so you can kind of back up your tracks and find out who's being spoken of. When you come to this passage of Scripture this morning, did it strike you odd that there are pronouns throughout these 12 verses, but there's no name given to show who it's talking about? When you begin reading in verse 1, who hath believed our report, and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, then you start picking it up in verse 2, and you'll see all kinds of pronouns throughout these 12 verses. You see, for example, the word he, a pronoun he, used 23 times. You'll also see him used about 11 times. You'll see his used 13 times. Folks, that's 47 pronouns referring to someone in these 12 verses. You'll also see the pronoun we used eight times and are used six times. And you'll see us used one time for another 15. So when you add them together, you have 62 pronouns in 12 verses. 
If you're writing a paper for an English teacher, you would certainly get it back with a lot of red marks and they would say way too many pronouns. And also you would have written across the page, who is this? You didn't give us a name. Who is it? Who are you talking about? Well, I believe that's the reason God wrote this under inspiration the way he did. There are actually three things for us to give thought to in regard to this. Why so many pronouns? Well, number one, there's someone very special here. When you're reading through that and you read about he and him and his, your question mark is, man, this is really special. Who is this? The second thing that you note with all the pronouns, I believe, is this. Our curiosity is aroused. Not only do we wonder who this is, but when you stop reading that chapter, you say, wait a minute, I want to find out who this is. And then number three, which I think is all important in this passage, is all these pronouns are used by God in Isaiah chapter 53 because he wants our attention drawn not so much to the person as much as what that person did. And I think that's very, very important for us to note. The pronoun is there, and there's someone clearly being talked about. But what that person did is being exemplified in this passage of Scripture, and that's what we're looking at this morning. So Isaiah chapter 53, a passage of Scripture full of pronouns, and it brings us to the question, who is this? Now, I'd like for you to go back with me, if you would, in time, and we're going to put ourselves in 712 B.C., and we are going to become a C, uh, let me get this right now, CSI investigators. You know what CSI stands for? Uh, criminal Science Investigators. That's what we're going to be. Have you ever seen a detective uh, program and they've got the CSI people come on the scene and they uh, have the body marked off with yellow tape and then the person walks in that yellow tape, they're the CSI team, and they start examining the body and based upon what they see about that victim, they're able to make conclusions and hopefully find eventually the murderer. Well, we're going to do that this morning with this passage of Scripture. And the first thing we're going to look at as we do that this morning is this. We're going to look for a man that clearly can be described as a victim. When we take a look at verse 2, and we go down to our chapter, and go down to, uh, let's see, verse 2, and um, down to verse 10, we're going to see truly a victim here. Well, as we examine this passage of Scripture, thinking about the pronoun, the he, that's being referred to in it, we're going to see certain characteristics about it that will help us understand what took place. What do I mean by that? Well, let's begin. Take a look, first of all, at verse 2, and we're going to note this. As we're looking for a man clearly described as a victim, number two, we're going to see this. We're looking at a man that is a simple man. We're looking at a man that is a simple man. You're going to notice this, first of all, when you take a look at his background, and secondly, when you take a look at his beauty, and the conclusion is there are no physical characteristics on his body that would mark him out, or there's no characteristics about his background that would mark him out. So our first step is going to be a difficult one because we're still going to wonder who this is. What do I mean by that? Well, take a look at his background, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. When we take a look at his background, we see as a tender plant, root out of a dry ground, means that he doesn't have any special heritage. He doesn't have any special lineage in his family. There's nothing special standing out to identify who this victim is at this point. 
The second thing we note is his beauty. Uh, what does he appear as? Well, when you take a look at this, for example, in the second part of verse B, he hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. There's, there's nothing as we look at this he or victim of Isaiah chapter 53, we see a simple man. There's nothing identifying his background. There's nothing identifying his beauty or his looks. No one looks at him and says, oh, I recognize him or I've seen him on TV or he was in this movie or I've seen him in this political field. There, there's nothing of that nature. He's just a simple man regarding his background and regarding his beauty. He could easily get lost in a crowd. You could see him and just walk by and somebody could say, did you note that man? I, I didn't note him. He just didn't stand out. Notice number two, if you would. We are looking at a sorrowful man. As we begin to examine the body and examine the he of the body, we note some things. He's reflecting a hurting heart. Now, what do I mean by that? We'll look at verses three and four. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Notice verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Not only is he a simple man, but he's obviously a sorrowful man. The sorrowfulness is reflected, first of all, by reflecting a hurting heart. Look at the expressions of despised and rejected of men. Does that hurt? Did you ever note when you were in high school, for example, or junior high, and they were having pickup games for baseball or basketball, and you were the last one to be picked, and you were picked very reluctantly because nobody really wanted you? Well, this is the kind of situation, despised and rejected of man. Did you ever make a stand at work and because of that pay the consequence for it? This is a sorrowful man, folks. He was despised and rejected. He's a man of sorrows. It was reflected in his face. He, he was uh, acquainted with grief. Obviously, he suffered much. And his, uh, it, it hid his face from him. And he was despised and esteemed not. This is a sorrowful man. We can look at this body and we can see there's a hurting heart here. But wait a minute. We didn't read just verse 3. We also read verse 4. The hurting heart was not because of him, but it appears that the hurting heart was because of others. Verse 4 says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This man had a hurting heart, but he had a, reflected that hurting heart because he was hurting for others. So he's a simple man, and he's a sorrowful man. And then we notice number three, taking a look at verses five and six, he, we're looking at a suffering man. How did he suffer? Well, let's read verses five and six. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or a peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here we find a suffering man. He reflected not only the hurting heart that we've already seen, but as we examine him, we see a hurting body. You don't take, for example, wounds, and you don't experience bruises, and you don't face chastisement, and you don't suffer stripes without having marks and on the body that reflect the pain that was endured in the process of receiving those things. 
And as we're examining this body, who is this? We recognize, wait a minute, he's a simple man. There's no distinctions in his physical appearance or his background to mark him out. Wait a minute, he is a sorrowful man. He's just full of grief and sorrow. You can see it in the expression of his face. But he was that because of someone else, not because of him. He's now a suffering man. Look at how he has suffered. And, and, and yet he suffered in these dramatic ways. And why did he suffer? He didn't suffer because of something he had done himself, but he had suffered because of what he had borne for others. Notice a little further with me as we take a look at verse 7. We're looking at a silent man. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Now, anyone knows that when you uh, come upon a scene and there's somebody dying, for example, that the first thing you want to do is get a whisper of a word from him as to who did this. Uh, anyone who is in a scene where they're dying, you run up to their side and, and if, they're, if they've been murdered and put to death unjustly, you look at them and you say, who did this? And you get down low because their lips may be moving and you want to hear the words. You, you want to hear who did this. Also, you may find them complaining. They may not know who did it, but they say, this is unfair, this is unjust, why did this happen to me? I didn't do anything wrong, whatever. You want to hear those words of the dying person, but guess what? We start interviewing people and we say, what did you hear? We didn't hear any words here. This was a silent man. He held his tongue. He did not argue. He did not become complainy. He did not give any whisper of who did this to him. He opened not his mouth. Yes, he appeared as dumb, opening not his mouth. He was a silent man, did not lay this to anyone's charge. Notice another point, if you would. As you take a look at verses 8 and 9, we are looking at a stricken man. Verses 8 and 9 tell us, first of all, that he was stricken in a way that came upon him like a plague. In other words, it wasn't an isolated incident. It was a series of things that took place before he died that just kept happening, happening, happening. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. When you look at this word stricken, it is a very, very important word. It is the idea that things came upon him, the striking and the touching and the suffering that he experienced came on him like a plague. That there was absolutely no let up, there was no rest, there was no escaping it. It just happened, 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 happened. And in fact, we could, we could say this, this individual, when they died, is taking a real beating, but not on behalf of anything they have done. It says very clearly in verse 9, no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. No blue-collar sin, violence. He didn't kill anybody or assault anybody or rob anybody. No white-collar sin, deceit. He didn't commit any kind of fraud or didn't misrepresent somebody or anything of that nature. This man took this horrible beating and experienced this horrible death and he didn't do it for himself, but he did it for someone else. That's who this he is. But we're at this point right now that we're just, we're just looking at this victim. We're, we're looking at a victim 
and, and he's clearly described. He is a victim who is a simple man, no distinguishing physical characteristics or background. He is a sorrowful man reflecting a hurting heart. He is also a suffering man reflecting a hurting body. He's a silent man. He held his tongue. And he's a stricken man. It's like a plague came upon him. All the things he suffered in that last minute. But you know what, folks? We still don't have a name. So as a CSI group, we're just going to have to wrap things up here and just kind of put it into the cold case file for now. But, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It doesn't stop there. You'll notice that there's still verse 10, 11, and 12. Well, let's keep examining here verses 10, 11, and 12 and see what we see secondly. What do we see secondly? We're not only, number one, looking at a man who's described as a victim, but as we've been able to mull this over and look more carefully, we are finding a man clearly described as a victor. How does the victim become the victor? How is the one that was defeated become ultimately the winner? Well, let's take a look. Verse 10. At this point, we see in verse 10 that what's taking place here says, pleased the Lord. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, no matter what you suffer as a Christian, if you do it in order to please the Lord, that's a good thing. That makes you a victor, not a victim. You say amen to that? You may be at your workplace right now suffering. You may be the guy that's on the outside or the gal that's on the outside because you don't listen to the uh, off-color jokes and you don't spend time uh, talking about different things that a Christian has no business talking about. And you may, may end up spending some time reading your Bible when others are reading other things and doing stuff like that. They may be talking about movies and fads and things like that that you don't have a clue about because you're not involved in that as you seek the things of the Lord, not the things of this world. But, but you're in that position. But if you're doing that because you're pleasing the Lord, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And when you look at this victim here, we're, we're looking and saying, wait a minute now, this victim wasn't a victor loser. This victim was a victim winner because it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In fact, in verse 6, remember what we read earlier, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wait a minute. This man died doing the Lord's will. That's a good thing. So let's stop and look a little more carefully here. What do we see first of all? Well, oddly enough, we see this victim is actually victorious because now he is a living man. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make him a soul excuse me, make his soul an offering, he shall see his seed. Now wait a minute. He shall what? See his seed. What does that mean? That means the person who is living is going to be alive. When he's dead, he can't when he's sorry, the person is dead is going to be alive. When he's dead, he can't see anything. But God's saying, wait a minute, this victim is going to be a victor because he's going to see his seed. Notice the second thing in verse 10. Not only is he a living man, but he's also a loving father. That expression is found in this. It says, prolonging his days. Notice the second part of verse 10. He shall see his seed, number one. He shall prolong his days. Now that's the idea of a father. That's the idea of him having children and his children having children and him living long enough to see these generations unfold. 
When we were first married and had our first daughter, we had the opportunity to actually have five generations of the Wellies in one picture. Uh, my wife's great-grandmother, my wife's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, my wife and our daughter were all together in one thing. And I wish you could have seen great-grandma's face, much older, not in good health, but I wish you could have seen her face as her days were prolonged that she could see Pam's generation now having children. I don't even remember how many greats that is. What is it, great-great-great-grandchildren? But it's a blessing and for a man to see that. Wait a minute, this victim is a victor because he's going to lie. He's going to see. This victim, who's a victor, is going to be able to, see, prolong his days. He's going to see generation after generation. Wait a minute now. Look, go a little bit further with me. He's also a laboring man. Look at verse 10. It says, thirdly, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, he's going to be doing things. He's going to be active. He's going to be producing things. His hands are going to be busy producing things. Wait a minute now. Isn't this... Wait a minute. This is a case like we never had before. Isn't this clearly a victim? If you say amen, I'll quit earlier. Isn't this clearly a victim? Okay, some of you want lunch, okay? And, and now wait a minute, though. We're shifting here now, and aren't we seeing this man as a victor? Yes, he is a living man, a loving man, a laboring man. Actually, he's a satisfied man. Look at verse 11. And he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He's a satisfied man. And then notice with me in verse 12, he is a victorious man. Therefore will I, this is a sign of victory, divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, he hath numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made transgress, intercession for the transgressors. Whoa! This is incredible that this victim becomes a victor. That this man with all those S's that we've already looked at becomes this man with all these L's that we've looked at. And this is a tremendous change. And our question mark is, say it with me, who is this? Who is this? Let's go back to Isaiah 52. Who is this? Let's go ahead to 54. Who is this? Who is this? Well, in 712 B.C., we've got to just kind of put everything in a box, mark it, who is this? Isaiah 53, and slip it up on a shelf. But take your Bibles now and go ahead with me to the book of Matthew. And when you go to the book of Matthew, take a look at chapter 20 and verse 28. Who is this victim that became the victor? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Here we have a hint. In Matthew chapter 20, in verse 28, we're slipping over in time, and we're about 33 or 32 A.D., 33, and here's what we find in chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You're on the CSI team now in the year of A.D. 33. And you're reading that, and all of a sudden it dawns on you, you say, wait a minute now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Give his life a ransom for many. That's, that's ringing a bell. I, I, I've, there's some classic 
cold cases that have been on file for years and years. And, and, I, and I know there's one classic one that everybody keeps asking, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? What, what was that? What was that? Well, okay, no, wait a minute. That was, that was, that was 712 B.C. Wait, uh, let me pull that down. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the file. Yeah, here's the description. He was a victim. Here's the description. He's a victor. Yeah, this is him, and he's giving his life for it. Yeah, who, but who is this? I, I don't know. We've got a clue here. The Son of Man came not to minister, ministered on, be a ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I don't know. I'm scratching my head, but you know what? We better keep this cold case file down here because I think, I think we're getting warmer to figure out who that is. Now take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we have a very, very unusual passage of Scripture where an Ethiopian eunuch has made the journey all the way up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. That was quite a trip. It involved a lot of expense and a lot of time. And he makes his journey up there, and, and he's uh, in a situation where he goes to Jerusalem. You see in verse 26 and verse 27, man of Ethiopia, eunuch, a great authority, uh, which cadence the queen of the Ethiopians. And he had gone up, verse uh, 27, to Jerusalem to worship. And now he's returning, and he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading, verse 28, Isaiah the prophet. And when the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself in this chariot, Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now this Ethiopian eunuch who made this journey all the way to Jerusalem to worship the Lord is now on his way back. He's reading his Bible. He still doesn't know what's going on. And and he's asked by Philip, the faithful evangelist, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, verse 31, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before her shears, He'll open he, not his mouth. That's what we just looked at. The victim who became the victor. That's who just a couple years ago, we pulled the cold case file down and talked about this one who gave himself for others. Wait a minute. We're, we're, we're getting closer to solving this mystery. Who is this? Now watch, verse 33. Don't think it's strange for us to ask that question, because watch. Verse 33. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this? Of himself or someone else? Exactly why God used 62 pronouns in Isaiah chapter 53 is being played out right here as this eunuch searching for God talks to Philip who knows God and says, I can't believe this person went through all this. I can't believe they did all this. I can't believe they ended up a victor. I can't believe... Who is it? Verse 35. 
Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Who is it, folks? Jesus. Who is the victim, folks? Jesus. Who became the victor, folks? Jesus. But watch now. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now remember, he had just been to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there were thousands being saved and being baptized. So he, he had some idea of something unusual going on there. I don't think he knew the nuts and bolts of it. I think he was in the Jewish type of worship in Jerusalem. And he heard about this strange group of people and baptisms and whatever, but he wasn't, didn't have a fix in his mind, but he got a fix now. And when he got a fix now, he said, wait a minute, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said... If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they commanded that the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way, note this word, rejoicing. Why? Because as Jesus Christ was the victim and became the victor, Jesus Christ now gives himself for us who are victims that we can become the victor. My wife was sitting in the living room of our home expecting our first child, Marcy, whose birthday will be this Friday, and I think she'll be 47 this Friday. And my wife was sitting in our home, having gone to church a few times after I got back from Vietnam, and she was reading the Bible, and she's reading the book 666, and she's thinking about the need to be saved. She's on the chair in the living room, and all of a sudden it comes to focus for her that as a victim, because of her sin, she can be a victor in the Jesus Christ. And she accepted the Lord as her Savior that day. Six weeks later, we visited our Sunday school teacher and I answered some of my questions and I still hadn't made a decision. And I came back into our apartment there in Willoughby, Ohio, and I looked out the window and I was thinking, what a fool I am. I'm living this defeated victim life and I'm suffering and I can't figure things out. I can't do things of my own. And I know what I need is Christ because he gives the victory. And I received the Lord Jesus Christ that day. And the victim became the victor. The bus boy, who's your pastor, faithful pastor, he was a victim, became a victor. You who are saved, you can go back to that time when you were the victim and you became the victor. Not because of anything you had done, but because of what he had done. And his name is Jesus. You know, I love the fact, I'm going to be honest with you, I've been a Christian now for 47 years. We were saved the year Marcy was born. And I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes that I can forget what Jesus did. I can just, I'm just living my life and, and serving the Lord and doing things, and I, I don't think back to that. You know, that's why God gave us Isaiah 53. And that's why he gave us the pronouns And that's why when we read through that passage of Scripture, we all have to stop and say, wait a minute, who is this? And look what he did. And I hope this morning that the Lord has used this message to help each and every one of us sit here this morning and look who is this, the victim who became the victor, 
and recognize he did all this for me so that I can be the victor too. I'll be honest with you, turning back to Isaiah chapter 53, as we close now, I I don't know you this well. I, I know your pastor the best and know his wife. I don't know you this well and I'm not putting a guilt trip on anybody here but I am weary. Um, I have to be honest, after 40-some years of pastoring now and preaching, I, I'm just weary to hear Christians walking around as victims today rather than walking around as victors today. I'm weary of that. And I think the Lord gives us a passage like Isaiah 53 and a message like where we're enjoying today for us to be refreshed and reminded, wait a minute, lift up that head Wait a minute, open up those eyes into the harvest field. Wait a minute, open up that mouth and speak as a testimony for Jesus Christ. Because folks, we ain't victims. We are victors in the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this? Jesus, the victor who wants to be your victory too. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you're probably sitting there saying, I hope he gets done quick because i got to go to lunch. Or I don't know why he's making such a big deal out of this. But if you're not saved this morning, I would ask you to come talk to Pastor myself today and say, what am I missing? Just like Philip was able to tell the eunuch what he was missing. And get what you're missing so that you can walk away, Acts chapter 8, rejoicing. And we who are Christians, I hope it's refreshed our memory, who he is and what he's done, so we can walk away this morning rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, what a great opportunity to come apart from the world and just reflect upon your word and reflect specifically upon what our Savior did for us in his life in Calvary. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that we have in him Thank you for taking us as victims of this world bound for hell and helping us to be victorious in Christ bound for heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.